And I think that was a catalyst, realizing we couldn't have a space where we could control the sound, <laughs> which is exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard this. Welcome to Ink Studs. I'm Kit for the Studs Commonwealth Substitute Squad, with the first in a series focusing on people behind independent comic shows and festivals. Seattle's Small Press Festival Short Run was founded in 2011 by a squad of women and has continued till 2018 with the core of founders Kelly Froh and Erin Franklin at the helm. A one-day, free-entry show that embraces poetry and prose zines alongside comics at various scales, 
The organization also runs exhibitions and educational programs throughout the year. The next short run takes place on Saturday, November 3rd at the Seattle Center's Fisher Pavilion under the Space Needle. I spoke with Franklin and Fro shortly after the 2017 festival, which took place during a week that also included shared programming with the International Comic Arts Forum, taking place at the University of Washington, and an event with Emil Ferris and Jim Woodring at a bohemian event space near the Fantagraphics bookstore in Georgetown. This was recorded in the cafe in comics-friendly Elliott Bay Bookstore, so there's some background noise, the odd edit around the Nespresso machine, and changes in room tone as doors get opened. But the cafe also helpfully soundtracked our chat with Sade, so hopefully the subliminally extra-smooth feeling of this week's Ink Studs balances out the rest of the sound. Both women are cartoonists themselves, and I started by asking Kelly and then Erin what brought each of them to comics as a reader and creator. Gosh, I would say I probably have about almost 20 years in now after my discovery that comics is a would be a great storytelling medium for me. Um, liking to draw and um, and having a lot of pleasure telling stories about my own life, like funny things that happened, sad mm-hmm. things that happened. Um, so I was always the the person at a party saying some like ridiculous story and and having joy and like cracking people up or having some kind of like memorable story. And so putting those two things together of like being a storyteller, wanting to tell stories, and drawing, um, when I realized that, and I was in my 20s before I realized that there is a medium out there to bring Mm -hmm. these things together and that I could participate, I always felt really outside of comics, um, thinking that I just wasn't qualified. I didn't have the chops, right? Um, And it was really... uh, not until I discovered alternative comics and the ver- the variety, like, that I realized that I, oh, I can maybe do this and I can do it in my own way and it can still be um, valid and accepted and people can relate to it and it can be appreciated. Um, so it really wasn't until I saw other women cartoonists and the way that they subverted styles and panels and story structure that I decided to um, just kind of take that on. Um, I've always been a printmaker and a painter and I've just drawn casually but when I discovered comics I felt like it was sort of like you punch your ticket like you're all you're all in like this is my thing now. So that was in the early 90s for me that I um, started reading comics and I started making them. I went to art school thinking that I could kick the habit and be a serious painter or a serious printmaker. I drew comics all the way through and ended up being my grad project. So um, it's just something that once you decide you like it and you want to keep doing it, it just, there's no way to quit. It's like professional wrestling, you know, you just have to die. Have a, little, have a little razor blade hidden in your pen so you can bleed onto the page and impress people. Yeah. It's all Whoa. show. It's all show. <laughs> yeah. I should really consider that. So uh, what was a cartoonist that you first came across that spoke to you as, this is something I could do, yeah. this is a, an option? Well, you can probably guess, like, Linda Berry um, was my biggest influence mm-hmm. and um, Julie Doucette and Debbie Dreschler and really a lot of the... Fanographics artists. I read. I collected Zero Zero, which was a, like a long-running anthology. Mm-hmm. Kim and, Thompson um, edited anthology for Fantagraphics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also loved mini comics, and I loved zines. And I think the first zine I made 
I had friends tell me that there's a website that would review it for you and it's it's well defunct now but I sent it in and I got like 40 pen pals from that that's how I got into that's how I kind of got involved with um John Porcelino and Carrie McNitch and a lot of people that have been doing uh, comics and comic zines for longer than me is it's like that that moment of discovery happened when I just made like a really poorly drawn overcross hatched zine <laughs> about bad dates I managed to get the attention of a lot of much better um, cartoonists than me who were like oh hey you know you must be new here. <laughs> Let's trade. You said that you were coming to it already with an interest in storytelling, that you have a printmaking background. Had you done zines in you know, prose or art, or was it comics, the combination of that, that led you to zines and mini-comics as well? I'd like to think that in, my, in painting and printmaking that I was sort of telling a story in a sense, but I don't know. I really think that comics was just how it kind of really all came together, and you were able to say more with it, uh, have a long narrative and tell a story. So um, I have since done different zines with lino block um, cut covers oh, yeah. or a painted cover. Um, those influences kind of come in every now and then, but that's the best I can do for that answer. Erin, how did you come to comics? Did you grow up reading them or did you have a late Damascene conversion as well? Um, I would say I read some when I was a kid, but like X-Men and the Max and things like that. But I wasn't obsessed in the way that a lot of the, the males I knew around me were. Um, I think a lot of the women that we know from our generation of comics came to it a little bit later um, because they were seeing graphic novels and they were seeing, you know, like you were saying, like Linda Berry, things like that were, were popping up in newspapers. Ellen Forney was in our local paper. Megan Kelso was also a wonderful local artist who was really inspirational. Um, so I definitely started considering comics when I was in my early 20s, but it wasn't until my late 20s that I was like, oh no, I think I can, I can do this. I think I'm ready. Um, I, I came from a fine arts background. I went mm -hmm. to art school and I, that was my initial entry into comics was the world of the visual. Um, and I studied photography, uh, but I was doing more conceptual photography. So there was always a story behind what I was doing. I wasn't just taking a picture. The picture almost didn't even matter. It wasn't the point. The point was like why I was taking the picture. And thinking back, even one of my first uh, comics really was photos. I did these photos and um, they were sequential. And I wrote a story that went along with it. And I didn't put it all together in one page, and I didn't think of it as a comic at the time. But recently, I was like, "Oh no, that was a comic." <laughs> I just like forgot the glue and didn't merge the the worlds of words and pictures. But yeah, in, in 2007, um, I was accepted to this residency a week after I got a divorce, uh, or decided to get a divorce. And so I went into the middle of nowhere, and I was doing a lot of cut paper art at the time. Um, and I was doing this project called Matter where I was uh, unable to figure out what had value in life anymore. So I took <laughs> all images of all things and I laminated them and then I cut them out. And so they were just like skeletons of what the original thing was. And I mashed them all together and like hung them and strung them and filled the gallery with them. But that wasn't quite where I was at. I, I, I wanted to be telling a story of what was going on with me at the time. 
And so I used cut paper because it was just what I was doing at the time. And I started making these little drawings about how I was feeling. And then I would write this prose about how I was feeling. It was all about feelings, 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 feelings. <laughs> um, and at some point I realized like, oh, this all is one, this is one story. Um, and so I was working on both these projects simultaneously. I was gone for three months. So I made two like entire bodies of work in three months and was like, I guess now I make comics. <laughs> I left and I was like, goodbye fine art, goodbye installation, goodbye photography. I have found my new home. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until like we met that I actually even knew anyone in the comics community. Like I, I feel like at that time, and maybe it was just because I already, I had friends here and I had my community here and I had an art community. Um, but it wasn't until I met you and Martine and a few other key people that I was like, oh, shit, like, there's a <laughs> lot of people making this work. Yeah. And I feel like that's when my influences, like, went through the roof. You know, I was really working in solitude before that. I worked for two years on that book. It was a graphic novel that was, like, my first thing that I ever did. And I didn't <laughs> of know course, I want to do comics. comics now, I'd better start with something that's hundreds and hundreds of pages. Oh, God, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Whatever you can do to stop yourself from such an ambitious and idiotic endeavor please stop yourself. I think it's pretty fascinating though that I mean there's an age difference between us and the stories we just told Barrett. are in different years. Yeah. Like so like a, a a cartoonist journey, you know, it's sort of like I don't know, there's some 15-year-old who's buying a Doors album right now, right? And it's <laughs> right. new to them and it's going to change their life. And I feel like comics can be that way for a lot of people in that sense that you find it and if it speaks to you you're like oh my god this is this is it and I'm going to do it and then it's up to you to decide are you going to join this community are you going to put your work out there are you going to do group projects and be with other people are you going to study every comic that's been made before you made yours <laughs> you know there's <laughs> lots of different ways to be a comics fan but I think in Aaron and I's journey um feeling that acceptance of the community and feeling that we had a role to to grow it is a really big part of our story, yeah, for definitely. sure. You said that Ellen Forney was in your local paper. Mm -hmm. Was that in Seattle, yeah, in The, the Stranger? Stranger. So mm -hmm. are you a native and you are an import? Yeah. Um, oh, well, neither of us are native. Yeah, okay. not native. <laughs> you, were, you were just here she earlier for little, art school? Well, or More yeah. history here. Like So my yeah. family's all from Washington, but I grew up in Texas. Um, so I came out to Whidbey Island, which is nearby, for high school when I was about 16. So, you know, I was 18 when I moved here, but that was still after you. Oh, yeah. I got here in 94 right. from Wisconsin. And then we just have chosen Seattle as our chosen place to be. Well, 23 years in, you, you seem fairly settled. Uh, yeah, I'm fairly settled. <laughs> that you decided. I'm wearing my um, flannel shirt and my black t-shirt to this it's, interview. It, it's true, and, and blue jeans. <laughs> and blue jeans, yeah. I feel really at home in the Pacific Northwest. I kind of feel like... Uh, just checked under the table, oh, listeners, and it's sneakers, not lumberjack yeah. boots. <laughs> right, right. Um, I just like this kind of casual, more laid-back... Um, atmosphere that we have here in Seattle. I hope it stays that way. Uh, Kelly, you've already found a small comics community of your own by the time that Erin met you and 
brought you in. Was it sort of more of a, a smaller entry-level group of women or was there the larger Seattle comics community, which seems to always exist but ebb and flow and have different right, circles right. in it? Yeah. Well, I was in art school in Vancouver when I think... I hope I'm not telling this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that I met David Lasky on mm-hmm. Friendster.com. <laughs> he is the first person every Seattle cartoonist meets. Yeah, he it's reaches true. out because I think he reaches out, you know. Yeah. Well, I think we somehow made some connections on Friendster. And he said, you look like a character I drew for one of my um, comic books. And then I was like, oh, weird, I draw comics, you know, and just start talking from there. And then saying that I was going to come back to Seattle, I was going to bring my new boyfriend, Max, and he draws comics. And I think it was David um, who was like, well, i got to get some people together to welcome you to the city. And so when Max and I came to town, there was like a group of, a group of friends at... Um, Shorties. It included uh, Mark Campos and Scott Faulkner and Kaz Strepik and just a lot of people that had formed um, formed little groups, uh, drawing groups, and were making anthologies already. So when we got to Seattle, the Friends of the Nib was a, um, a group of um, people that gathered to draw and to make, um, sometimes make work together or have art shows together. Um, and then I think it was Fine Comics Collective that had done another anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were all Seattle people. Yeah. So Max and I felt as soon as we, you know, walk over the county line, there we were met with all of <laughs> these um, wonderfully friendly people who were excited to welcome us in. Um, and then it took a little while longer for me to kind of find my my women, right. <laughs> the women who were telling telling stories that I really wanted to read and doing things, um, making art that was really exciting to me. So it was several years in being here um, that when I met Aaron, when I met Martine Workman, and from there, so and many other people. there it just like it like just doubled and tripled like cons- it, it just seemed like a lot of people were moving here. And all they really needed to do was declare themselves, like, hi, I live here now and I draw comics. And we're like, oh, tell us more. Let's see. (laughs) Um, We were able to kind of grow this group um, that we have since done anthology projects with, other different art projects, and who are also um, form this uh, supportive uh, base to short run as well. It was only a few years after you, Erin, got into comics that Mm -hmm. you guys ended up putting short run together the initial version Um, so at at that time it was a lot smaller than it is now was it more just sort of your friends getting together inviting the Seattle people or did you have a a bigger vision at that time was it just like let's let's just throw on a a a few hours in a room and that's exactly what we thought no vision whatsoever yeah (laughs) we literally met and I think a week later we're, we had a meeting and we're like, we're gonna start this thing. We're gonna try and have a festival. Cause we met at a festival in Olympia and we were just like, you know what? Why doesn't anything like this exist in Seattle? We're a comic city, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So within a week we were committing ourselves to what we would later yeah. realize was life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and we were just like, let's throw this one day thing. Let's, we didn't think about it too much. We had six months to organize it. We had no idea what we were doing, but 
we work together with two women, um, our team workmen and Jenny Gillenis, and we all had these, you know, skills that we could bring to the table, lots of organizing, marketing, illustration and design. And we were just like, I think we can do this. But seriously, we didn't know each other. Like none of us. No, were really cool. not really. I knew I really <laughs> wanted to be friends with Aaron. I wanted to be. And then I, I remember just like um, I was so yeah seeing I think you and Martine were tabling in Olympia and I had met Martine before you and so I went up to say hi to Martine and Martine was like and this is Erin and you were there and I was just like oh my god I'm just looking at the books on the table I was actually kind of intimidated of like the craft and everything (laughs) and I went back to my table you know shoulders kind of hunched and and Max is like well you should maybe hang out you should go hang out with them or something and I was you know I was like scared yeah Max is like yeah set me on go and ask if you can play go and ask if they will accept you into their friendship group um yeah but I think Martine was the one who was who brought up the idea of the festival oh yeah we were and then and okay you and Martine were talking about it and then a date was planned at your studio where we were all just going to sit around and draw yeah and then at that drawing session which probably very little drawing got done oh god none is where we were (laughs) just like can we should we let's just let's hey, just do it yeah. like how hard could it be yeah i remember everyone was talking and i was like well i think i'd be interested in that yeah you know and i just feel like those like final last words you know it's yeah. like <laughs> because then aaron and i really dove in like um I and mean, we're sort of the, the last one standing out of that initial group because it ended up moving really fast and taking yeah. over our lives and we grew it constantly and i mean there was reasons why other people left like Martine she moved and of course we you know we couldn't be like can you work from DC uh it's Washington too um but I think that we we just were in it for the long haul after that you know that first year was really hard I feel like the second year might have been harder when it was just the two of us and we were you know trying to expand and do all these things and we didn't know if we could do it. Did you start off with just comics or was it comics and zines and whatever people wanted to bring the, at it was first? It always or? small press. Right. Like yeah. we, we, that was what we called ourselves originally was small press fest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that's too confusing for a lot of people. Uh, so we switched to Comics and Arts Festival later. Martine was definitely, she was an art book maker. And I mean, I definitely at that time uh, was more making art object books as well. Yeah. Um, and I was more independent. I was more into like indie comics and zines, and Jenny was a big zinester. Okay. So we kind of felt like we you should were all sort of covering a different yeah, element. Yeah, we were kind of covering what we all knew. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You grew in the second year. Was that uh, in terms of exhibitors? Did you start adding programming for the first time? We definitely had more people. We had a few more exhibitors. We were at the Vera Project, so we couldn't really add too many more tables. They only fit thirty tables. Mm-hmm. In there. Yeah, it was like yeah, uh, ridiculous. Now we have. We have over 100 tables. Yeah, over 100 yeah. tables. <laughs> but right from the beginning, I mean, our ideas of what programming is, we knew that we were, we were never, we never had it in our plan to be a comics convention. And we, we weren't um, enthusiastic about um, mimicking their um, template in any way. Uh, we had been to plenty of festivals and we knew what worked and really didn't work for us. And, but we, uh, when we started kind of 
uh, investigating like who's gonna who's gonna table here and who's gonna be attracted to our show we started recognizing um, kind of other interesting talents that comic artists and writers have and so right from the beginning we were like you know that guy makes pretty cool like chapbooks but he's also a barber mm-hmm. what can we do with that and like we had a haircuts one year at the show <laughs> and you know we had Nicole Georges we asked her if she would do live advice um, people would ask a question in a basket and she would answer it um, and we also had uh, the <laughs> stage area that we couldn't really use we couldn't really put people up there because it just wasn't the right space so we just covered it in paper and threw out a bunch of markers mm-hmm. and like created a living room covered in paper so people could just draw on it and we're like yeah. I guess that's that's our version of programming. Yeah. (laughs) Ways to like keep people there. um, And collaboration. And yeah, collaboration and also just to kind of take a break from kind of the... It does, I mean, we Art Festival has been described as overwhelming like so many times, and each time I'm like, okay, well, is that like in a good way or a bad way? But like, uh, just room room to breathe for people if they're gonna be there all day. But also how they can also leave their mark, right? So I added to this drawing, or I went to this thing, and I talked to this artist. Um, so our ideas of what programming is, changes every year like what what can we do this year how can we involve how can we get the most out of our guests and how can we get the most out of the artists who are here um, to create memorable experiences yeah and we also started out pretty early on looking at uh, festivals uh, in Europe um, and that was in part because I took a trip to Russia that first year yeah. um, and I went to this festival called Boomfest um, completely on accident I just happened to be in St. Petersburg when it was going on, and a, fr- a friend of mine posted that he was a guest there, and I was like, holy shit, I'm like two blocks away from you. Can I just crash this entire thing and go on uh, a boat with Julie Doucet and pass vodka around with a bunch of Russians? And he was like, yes, you can. And I was like, I'm doing that. Um, but so I, since seeing that there's not just like this idea of a Comic-Con or a festival that takes place all in one space where you have programming that's just talking and um, just, you know yeah, uh, just you know, go and see someone get interviewed on a panel in, an, in another room at the same time as the flea markets going on right exactly yeah um, we wanted to have art shows and collaborative experiences we wanted to have experiences for the artists as well as the audience we wanted to combine the audience and the the guests you know and have them be able to interact in different ways mm-hmm. um, and so ever since then we've been looking at and, and smaller festivals that are popping up in the US too mm-hmm. we really are trying to pay attention to what people are doing and get excited about the types of programming we can right. Uh, I was in Seattle a short run time in both 2015 and this year mm-hmm. so in 2015 you had a lot of programming not just adjacent to the the festival itself. You had events sort of during the week before and a couple of days afterwards at libraries and so forth. At yeah. what point did you start bringing that in and letting Short Run become an arts festival spreading mm. spreading its fingers further into Seattle? I can't remember. Year three maybe? Oh yeah. Probably. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I, do, I haven't really oh, thought yeah. this through. I think year three um, with the association with the Seattle Public Library, right? Our soil show was in 2012. Our first soil show. Yeah. So that's like a major um, art gallery here in Seattle in our Pioneer Square area where the art walk is. And it's a, sh- it's a gallery that you do have to write a proposal and apply for. And it, we wanted a book-centric show that was about um, artist process. Mm-hmm. And so we showed 
half done drawings, drawings discarded, um, eraser shavings from their desk, <laughs> like things that they put at their desk for inspiration. You know, they, they each got a shelf and a wall to kind of show what their process looks like. Yeah, we went into everyone's studio and, um, you know, we gathered objects. We're like, ooh, this like little tiny toy, this thing that's covered, oh, this ink spill. You know, like, we're like, oh, these papers that you've just been using yeah, to test your Yeah, this is where pen. you start your pen. These are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and then we put it all together and made these kind of like shrines to each artist. It was, it was. Um, but that's probably been one of our most memorable shows. A lot of artists definitely. remember that show. Because I think it was showing this like inner working. And yeah. it was, it, it was sort of, I like the idea that you just said shrine because it was kind of like, uh, it really elevated the importance of process and the personality of that artist and what they do and what's, um, yeah, it was, it was about making the work, not necessarily the work, which yeah. I think was kind of neat. And in our third year, we moved to Washington Hall, which was a much bigger space. We went from 30-ish tables to like... 50, and then I think the following year we added another like 15 in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so we made that big jump, and in that third year we were able to have programming at the actual festival. It was not ideal. The sound <laughs> was not something we could control because we had two rooms, but they were huge. So we just were like, let's throw up a curtain and hope for the best. Let's divide <laughs> this room in half with a, with a big, heavy black curtain. Yeah, but if, if we could take that back. Yeah, that was that didn't uh, really work out, unfortunately. The, I mean, the programming was amazing, and I think it was it was good to try, but it was sad that we couldn't quite make it work. Yeah, it was just too loud. Yeah, yeah, but. It, we learned a lot, though. We did. About what kind of um, discussions people would want to listen to. And it was a great way to spotlight some authors and, and get people talking. And, and so, yeah, it's been sort of like um, we do have some traditional programming now, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's because sometimes it just calls for it. Right, definitely. And I think that was a catalyst, realizing we couldn't have a space where we could control the sound, <laughs> which is exactly what's happening right now. I'm not sure if you hear the espresso maker in the back. Um, <laughs> but we realized we had to take it out of the venue um, in order to make it accessible and also to make it so that the artists could go. Because part of going to a festival is you miss all the programming because you're tabling all day. Um, so we wanted to be able to include the people that we, you know, were so excited to bring here. And we're, take, we're bringing them from all around the country and mm -hmm. later the world. And um, that we want to be able to like have conversations and show them what's cool about Seattle and show them what's cool about the festival and introduce them to new stuff. Uh, you can't do that if you're just like now sit here for. All <laughs> Welcome to an Seattle. Day. Sit here for seven hours and yeah. then go home on Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we always hope that our guests can stay a little longer and that we can do other things with them, projects and stuff like that, and different talks. So it's not just. I mean, it's not like we're in love with the model of tabling. We like that it allows the audience to meet the artist and the artist to show off their work and to make money on their books. Is it an ideal, is it like the ideal way to display work or present artists? We're not sure. You know, there's lots of pros and cons to tabling. And I see a lot of festivals and talk online about, you know, down on tabling. We need, we need a new model, you know. But I've seen other places try. They're just really 
that connection between artist and um, an audience where you can walk up to that table and have a conversation, it's hard to mimic in another way. And you need to have it because of the sense of discovery. You can't know about these artists by just typing mini comic into the internet. Like you actually have to know the artist before you can find their website. Yeah. And how do you find out about these people? Like this is how, this is how you, you, you know, you can go to a store in Elliott Bay where we are right now. It's a great bookstore, but they have just a handful of the artists that we're showcasing. Yeah. Um, the sort of work that people are bringing to Short Run is generally stuff that people aren't going to be able to find anywhere right. else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's not getting distribution. Like, yeah. you know, little fairs like this are pretty much the only place that a lot of this stuff can go on sale anywhere. So it's, yeah. you know. And also, um, the artists that do the, the best at our festival, the artists that are selling the most are artists that are uh, open-eyed and engaging with their audience. They're standing behind their work. They're presenting themselves along with their work. I mean that's just a fact. I mean there might be there might be a book that absolutely sells itself. Just leave it on a table alone <laughs> and it'll sell out. But the idea of uh, perf- it's it's a performance, right? And if you come up to my table and and I look you in the eye and I greet you and I'm like this is this is my new book. This is what it's about. You have made a connection and it, it allows that person kind of permission to come into your world. Maybe you know if you smile at someone for the most part, they're going to smile back, right? They're going to be like, oh, okay, maybe. Oh, you get the sort of introverts that, uh, you know, oh, no, I, 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 can't, I, I, I can't look at this book now because then I'd have to say no and put it down and I've made a connection. Yeah, and my yeah. response to that is you don't have to say no, just walk away. <laughs> like, just we flip the are not, at, no one on the table is, ag- is agonizing about that. Yeah. It's not like, oh, what are you going to say? What am I going to say? If the book attracts you, pick it up and look at it if it doesn't just keep walking and I will literally forget your face in 30 seconds <laughs> you know what I mean there's a three there's a, there's like 4,000 people there on that day so I think we need to get over these these hang-ups or like I think it's almost become myth at this point of like the the um, the the fear like they wouldn't be there if they weren't go- if they weren't brave enough to stand behind their work we right? should do a training um, so it's like people are you socially awkward and do you want to come to this festival but feel too much pressure let's walk you through it and have like have a, 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 little, a, a little fake corridor that people right. go into and go along five different tables and, and you like... have to reject and you have to buy and you have to try each yeah, thing yeah. and then you're like now you can do it okay doors open four thousand people show up. Yeah, and take some Ativan. Put your hand on your wallet. Get in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we're lucky in Seattle that we do have a really enthusiastic, curious, uh, culturally curious audience. Um, They aren't just looky-loos. They're going to buy stuff. And that that is a huge part of our success is the fact that Seattle is supporting our festival. And they're Seattle coming out. Yeah, they're coming out and they're buying stuff and they're so and they're interested in stuff yeah. in in a really sincere way. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know where we'd be without that. <laughs> Was it in the very first year that you know, once you'd announced it was happening that the people that you didn't know approach you or was it that's a good question. Um, you mean like exhibitors? Like yeah. how the hell yeah, yeah, did you exhibitors. find these people? Yeah. Is oh. that what you're trying to... Yeah. Ooh. I think in the beginning it was just sort of like inviting everyone we knew. And, yeah. Because um, we both had... I'm not... I mean, pretty extensive mini-comic collections 
like we were reading like we knew who we liked for mm-hmm. sure but we also knew who was in our community who we saw at uh tabling along with us at other shows so we had this yeah. like kind of this base and most mm-hmm. of it was pacific northwest for sure yeah. um and then it's just kind of grown from there because people want to travel to different shows luckily i mean uh, there was a time when I did. <laughs> like, well, I want to check out this little show in Athens. And mm-hmm. I want to check out this show in Vancouver. And um, so it didn't really take much, um, too much effort to just kind of let people know that we were um, expanding and that we could take more exhibitors and et cetera. And then our challenges in, in, in previous years is... Um, we're trying to establish uh, equity when you walk in the room. We don't want this to just be all um, all males, right? Which are the majority of, of comics makers. And so one year we decided like, we need to, we can't just like hope for something. We have to be more active. And so we developed like an invite letter that we sent to like hundreds of women that we hadn't seen um, at shows or that they hadn't applied to our show and just let them know I mean because yeah we're Seattle we're in a, we're far away <laughs> from the Midwest and the East Coast and it would it's gonna cost you know it's gonna cost you a little bit to get out here but like please be aware of us and be aware of that um, we introduced ourselves as organizers and talked about what our mission statement f- was for the festival and that, that they were welcome welcome to apply and we want them there and then, um, and that year we, I think we had maybe 43% women or something wow. like yeah. that. And that was a different time. I feel like now we are seeing festivals that have more gender equity. Um, but before that, you know, we were looking at the applications and we were just, it, we were overwhelmed by the men that were applying and um, it was really frustrating. But just this simple outreach made it so we, it's not like we changed our curation policy. We didn't, you know, all of a sudden, I don't know, people are like, well, did you change, you know, how you're doing it? No, we just asked more women. Yeah. And then we just looked at the applications and then we yeah. just, we Everything accepted is, it based on quality, you know? Right, exactly. So any any outreach we do, it's an, it's a, um, it's inviting them to apply. We still look at the work for what it is. Yeah. And then this year, we did something similar with, um, uh, people of color and queer communities and just like uh, hey hello we're here and we want and we want you here um, and so it was like lots of hours of research of who's who's tabling at other um, festivals looking through their exhibitor list and tumblr and like whatever we always make note of artists that we see just like in our own lives whether in books or the internet or whatever and then we find out where they live and they find out is it possible that we could get them here um, so uh, we do. We just need to step out and find and find people and let them know that we're here. And then I think they will come. At what stage did you start being able to actually bring people as guests? Presumably you were sort of doing everything on the smell of an oily rag to begin with. And well, that's, that's uh, very strange. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, is that like on a shoestring? <laughs> yeah, it's oh, like yeah. It's, it's like you're, you're you're out of petrol. You've just got like the smell oh, of an oily rag God. to to run Whoa. the engine on. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. We we should change the name of our festival. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, Aaron was the. And but uh, for anyone that doesn't know, like short run entry remains free. So yes, there's definitely. there's no there's no money coming in like 
over the door, you would have at some point had to start seeking sponsorship in order to yeah. expand. Well, for us, um, I mean, the reason why we are sitting here right now is because Aaron was like, we have to apply for grants. <laughs> we have to get on this now. <laughs> yeah. And that was our second year, I think, when that happened. Um, some of my best friends started a nonprofit a few years before us and so I looked at them as a model and they were like you can't do everything for free and I was like how about for very 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 little money and they were like okay that's fine but you can't do it for free um, and we have outlasted a lot of other festivals that started at the same time as us that you just get burnt out um, you and and Aaron and I quit our other jobs like the, uh, yeah. the, oh. the team on behind Short Run has sort of grown and expanded a little bit over the time, but you two have remained you know, the constants. Yeah. We're the only two people willing to <laughs> give up our jobs and, and be on call to Short Run. I really feel like I'm on call. Like, and Aaron every year is like, Kelly, no more answering emails at midnight. Like, yeah. give yourself some time. Um, in the quest for some kind of efficiency, you know, to just get it off the to-do list. But, um, so, yes, we don't, uh, we are the ones that um, are definitely sickly committed to it, but we developed uh, a board of directors in order to become a nonprofit, which we did in 2014. So becoming a nonprofit opens up your opportunity to apply for larger grants and more national grants. And so, um, thank God for that. Yeah, for real. And it was also a way to be, um, to, to share this experience of creating a festival with, at first, just our friends <laughs> who are on the board, but slowly but surely, we're looking outside of that group um, for people that can bring their skills into, into the organization fundraising skills and grant writing skills and just like uh, outreach to different age groups and like there's a lot of skills that can be brought into an organization that helps it to grow. Um, it is really amazing that shift. I mean that was definitely the biggest uh, direction for us of going from a, a one-day festival that you know had some programming but pretty much was like once a year to this nonprofit organization that had year-round events, programs, like we started like pretty much all of our programs at the same time, including yeah. a summer school. Um, we started having a, a grant for self-publishers. We started Trailer Blaze, which is a ladies comics residency, um, and inviting artists from all over the country and international artists as well to come here and, um, you know, throughout the year just give talks and do projects and do murals and um, it was a huge uh, game changer for us. Right, because also to get a lot of those bigger grants, it you, we had to, um, we had to hit a lot of marks. Like, well, what else are you doing? And how many people are you reaching? Mm -hmm. And how are you changing the comics community? How are you bringing more people in? And um, so th a lot of the programs are also us just trying to include more people. Because not everyone who applies is gonna get into the festival. You know, we have 100 tables, that's a lot of tables. But when you have, you know, hundreds of applications, not everyone's gonna get in. So how can we make those people still feel an active part of the community? Well, obviously come to the festival, right? And enjoy yourself and like, 
uh, trade your books and talk to artists, but also like maybe you can take some classes at our summer school. Maybe you can come on this residency with us. Maybe you can uh, apply for other opportunities or volunteer or whatever. Like there's a lot of entry points to the to the community. I think. Yeah, and it all just sounded like fun. You know, I think every year we sort of look at what's ahead of us, and we we have a retreat once a year, and we just get super excited and we talk about the future and we you know look at what what we want to do yeah. and it's and like who what we're excited about us. yeah like what what do we think about and think like oh my gosh like we have to do that we just absolutely have to we'll make it happen and i would say a lot of our ideas are uh, over our head like we definitely take on projects that are too big for us <laughs> um, but we've always done them We've right. never, I mean, there's a few things we've given up in early stages, but we've never gotten <laughs> too far into something and not completed it. Even, I mean, we're, we're talking about this year, like, uh, we had this idea six years ago to make an imagination hut, which is like this gigantic blanket fort reading room thing um, that we actually installed this year, but it involved like a massive sewing project with no pattern because it turns out there is no pattern for an imagination <laughs> and you know there we had to like hang it from the ceiling and make sure it didn't fall and kill anyone and then we had to like install this furniture and we, had oh, we accidentally sewed it out of asbestos yeah, yeah whoops yeah um but it was just like an idea with no plan let's do it and no skills like we didn't have like i can sew a straight line now which is great yeah you're a good sewer now <laughs> but you know we just sort of were like let's do this and it happened and i'm super proud of it yeah it's amazing that but that uh that was certainly like kind of the biggest thing that we w went into without really being prepared but pulled it off pulled it off and with also just a lot of a lot of help around us. Oh, yeah. So I mean, luckily we have just a lot of people who want to help us to succeed. This year, adjacent to the festival, rather than having so much of your own programming going on before and after, you teamed up with ICAF for the first time. Right. Did you seek out that partnership, or had Short Run grown enough that they thought it would be a, a good location? Yeah. Well, it kind of fell into our lap in a way um the comics and medicine conference was here this year in june and our um our board chair mita mahato was in charge of that and one of her partners um in the planning of that was um jose alanis and so it was this year i think he's maybe been president for a year or two but he's like hey i'm president of icaf and icaf's going to be in seattle this year and so um luckily we were friends with him and we he knew of us and we knew of him and so he's like you know what we're we're looking at dates and he's like what about right up against short run and we were like hey an extra you know 100 or so registrants coming to short run sounds great right yeah. um so that was kind of just a, a, a cool thing that was sort of orchestrated. And then we met with we met with Jose maybe just once actually and found out who they were interested in bringing and who we were interested in bringing. And how can we do crossover programming? How can we share resources? Um, and so that was neat. And I know it kind of, I know Jose's idea was to kind of hearken back to a time when uh, an academic conference uh, ran parallel to SBX. So I thought this was a, you know, it was a cool thing. Let's uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, and, and, it, and this was kind of the first year that we've actually, so we had a venue to be able to house all this programming too. 
for the first time. It was really exciting. It's like five feet away, not five feet away, but <laughs> yeah. very close to our main venue. Um, and that it was sort of when we shifted to more talks and conversations and things like that, which was exciting. I think for a long time we were like, we don't want to do that because that's the old festival model. But <laughs> we were so enticed by pairing up all these different artists that we were just like, oh man, these I want to sit in on this conversation. I really want to be a part of it. Um, so it was a good way to shift into those sort of right talks. And just like for your listeners benefit like Fisher Pavilion at Seattle Center Seattle Center is like a campus of buildings so we we, underneath the Space Needle if anyone wants to picture it yes exactly and Fisher Pavilion um, we absolutely love it because it's 12,000 square feet but it's uh, floor to ceiling windows on one side so we have light and it's everyone's on the first floor and everyone's on an even um uh, even footing. Even footing there, right? There's no like, oh, I got the, I got the smaller room. I got the bad room. I mean, we don't even know what that means. But like in previous years, we stuffed tables everywhere we could. But here, it's just like a nice big open space. But that being said, there's no little offshoot rooms. So there's a little um, tent with animation down there. Yeah, the we end. have our tent. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have our tent. As Aaron said, you know, um, less than a five minute walk away is the Vera project, which was our very first location ever. We were able to rent that space this year too. And so those are two big rooms that we could use for programming. And so knowing that we were going to house some of the ICAF programming, knowing that we wanted to do like that we wanted to do an art show, we wanted to do a lecture and like workshops because we have these, we were bringing these artists that we knew that would be kind of their talent to show off. So that just kind of worked out perfect for us. So you've grown to this size uh, as of this year. You've got, I guess, events going on throughout the rest of the year that keep you busy. Yeah. Um, Is there room to grow or... Are you going to have to consolidate at this point? Because the size of the uh, the Fisher Centre, it basically takes a day to look at everything if, you, if you're going to take your time. It's true. Um, well, we've said this almost every year. We don't want to grow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's true. laughs> we like it there. Like, we like it there a lot. Um, so we're not exactly sure. Uh, I mean, we we will um, we will be at Fisher again next year, and probably at Vera again next year too. Like I think that worked out really well. But you know, we meet early in the year and we were like, who are we excited about? What do we want to do? And so we don't, you know, we haven't had that meeting yet. But we're always thinking, of course. But I'd like to keep it where it is, obviously, because. I think our attendance grows because we're people are trusting us that we're going to put on a good show. But also, it almost becomes a, a I don't know, like everyone knows where Bumper Shoot's going to be. You know what I mean? Like, if if we can develop some history with the place, um, that's one little important piece of information we don't have to kind of like uh, beat into people. Where is it? When? <laughs> and as organizers, we don't have to rethink what we're doing every single year. That was really tough. We've had three venues, and each time we go visit the venue oh multiple times, and then, you know, the first year is all sorts of things go wrong and then the next year is fixing those things and then still more (laughs) things go wrong and this was the first year where I was like oh 
a reasonable amount of things went wrong and you know most of it was not because of the menu it was just <laughs> yeah. like other issues that we you know need to deal with but like yeah. the, that was part of the what was wonderful about having our third year there was like the relief of just knowing this space mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I can't imagine doing that again I can't imagine finding a venue that size that price that has light and isn't just a convention center like no. that is just as soon as we have to move to a convention center, like, it's done. No. Like, there's no way. It's over. Like, no <laughs> one is taking an escalator down to our <laughs> festival. No. Um, that's just from the very beginning. Yeah. And it's not going to be two days. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know everyone Sorry wants you couldn't it make it because it. you had another plan on Saturday. But the fact of the matter is, is to, to compile, to how hard we work to compile so many resources and so many people's time to make that one day fantastic. I'm not going to ask them to do it tw again, you know? Bake sale donations, volunteer support, and the doubling of costs is not something that we're interested in. I would rather rock out one amazing day and you just hit, you just do as much as you possibly can and, and then you party with us until 11 and then just go home and just be exhausted but be like joyfully exhausted. And that is just gonna have to be the way it is. <laughs> right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> you said there's, you keep getting asked to go to two days. Is that? The example you gave was someone who had something on on the day, so it's people <laughs> attending, but is there interest from exhibitors? Are they like, you know, we think we'd like to have more time in Seattle, another chance to get it different eyes in front of us? It gives you more time in Seattle. It gives you less time in Seattle. It gives you more time <laughs> sitting behind the table. Yeah. yeah, mostly exhibitors have said, if I wasn't tabling, I would be able to um, experience the programming. So I wish it was two days for that reason. But I feel because I've been to two day shows, the second day you're hungover, you're exhausted, and it's like misery, and you don't have the enthusiasm that you had on Saturday. Um, so, and, and, and we also have been presenters at shows where we're on at five o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. packed up and, and gone. And no one gives a shit. Yeah. So I think people really need to analyze the pros and cons and what, and what they think they want and what they'd actually do. And do you actually make that much more money at a two day festival? festival because how many of those people are coming back again you know you are going to get more people just because you know some people couldn't make it on another day mm. but yeah. we really feel that we would rather just pack them in and get everybody in in that one day right and we haven't heard people complaining about money so no. <laughs> you know I yeah. definitely feel like this is a good festival in that regard mm -hmm. so yeah or yeah people like to um, come to Seattle Friday, Friday night, Saturday, I'd be able to go home, uh, go home on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Actually, works out quite well for people who are traveling a, a longer distance. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I don't We're know. Not doing we it. try really, really We're hard not. to get as many people in front of you as possible for that time, for that one day. And we just need to. Everyone needs to find a way to make the make the most of those seven hours. You guys both make comics yourselves and you, you talk about how people being tabling doesn't give them a chance to get around and see the programming. How much time, if any, do you get to spend standing behind whichever table has your work of oh, the moment no. on I it? You were going to ask a much more depressing question. <laughs> Aaron and I did miserable this year. <laughs> so bad. Because 
we're just like we didn't even put our names on our table <laughs> like we didn't like normally uh, well normally i had my my partner for a long time and he would you know set up the table and we had a display and everything and this year we were just too busy focused on the yeah. festival and we i just hope no one looked at our table as down. any kind of example of the good way to sell yourself <laughs> um, we luckily had help of our friends who would would uh, watch our table as we were off you know putting fires out and, and things like that but we didn't have our displays up we didn't um I had a co I had a collab with my boyfriend that I was pretty excited about, but it was still it wasn't like it wasn't like this big book that I had worked on a really right. long time. Like we didn't have something super special to premiere, something big to premiere, which is I think the way to get the most out of a festival is to really be excited to show something off. Um, so are you that's ever going to have time to show something off though when you are <laughs> running around? I know every year that is the goal. Is like. And after this year, we were like, we're not, we're not going to do that again. Like, we have yeah. to have something. Because if we're not, I mean, that, we need to enjoy being in our own festival. But also the festival is just so, there's just so much going on. It's really hard for either of us to actually sit down behind the table mm. for very yeah. long. And if, I don't know, I've never asked another organizer, like, do you have your own table? I, I mean, yeah. maybe people just give up, but I yeah, don't know. I feel like the tabling part for me is not super important. Like, I want my books there. I want it to be represented. I, you know, I, I love having our wonderful volunteers who know our work be there. Um, but I don't necessarily need to be behind the table. We sort of use it as um, a, a point where we can talk to, like our info table's right next to our table. So it's really easy for us to sort of stand there and then talk to them and figure out what volunteers need, what's going on. Okay, now these <laughs> volunteers, everyone knows to go to that spot to find us because we will be stopping by, we will be dropping stuff off, we yeah. will be it's gathering books and then putting them there. Um, <laughs> But did I sell a single book or talk to a person about my work? No. Uh, but I stood there for five minutes at a time <laughs> until yeah. somebody was like, I need you. And then I, I went and did a thing. Yeah. I think in the last hour of the show, I grabbed all the money out of my wallet and I just started kind of like crazily throwing Just it. trying to like buy stuff and talk to people. And I think like we're um, kind of stand out as the organizers that... You you pretty you know our name by the end of the the weekend or by, by the end of like being part of short run is because we want to welcome you there. We want you to know we know your work. We chose your work. You're here. Oh, well, thank God you made it. We try to go around all the tables and look at what you've got and say hello. And um, I've certainly been to festivals where I have no idea like who's running this. How does it run? Who do I ask a question to? So I want ours to always feel like really open in that regard. And it's a way that we can also stand by the curation process. It's, it's like, yeah, we curated it. It's our vision of what the kind of festival we want to go to. And we can stand by these artists because we interact with them and we know their work. So, but it's hard. What is your guys' curatorial process? Uh, is it mainly the two of you making all the decisions? Or the board do any of the, the reading through things, putting things forward? Yeah, we sort of do a first pass um, on all of the exhibitors. Um, so we get, you know, four or five hundred applications. And yeah. we're trying to whittle that down to 280, <laughs> uh, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so we go through and we're like, these are the, the people we know. A lot of it is just going through and being like, of course, of course, uh, no way in hell this person's a meme 
Right. <laughs> it's like yes, no, maybe, right? Yeah. And sometimes the maybes are off and like broken up further into different like number rating system. But Aaron and I have like really, like our aesthetics are quite in tune with each other. Our vision is really solid of like what we like and what we think would be awesome to have at the festival. Yeah, and like you're saying, our vision is uh, similar, but I think our aesthetics are are wide ranging, which is an important thing to to think about. Like we aren't a festival that has one look. Oh, right, um, right, for sure. We definitely like a lot of different stuff, but we know, and there's things where I'm like, I'm not so into this, but I can tell that Kelly would be, or I can, <laughs> or I can tell that it's important to have. Mm-hmm. You know, where I'm like, I know that this isn't, doesn't speak to my heart, but I, I, I can see the value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do consider things besides just like, do we like it on this gut level instinct? It's right, not just right. that. No, because it's like, there are a lot of people working in certain styles. Right, and if we love that style, does that mean they're all going to be at the festival? You know, no, because it's all yeah, gonna look it's it all, all gonna look the same. <laughs> yeah. So, and especially with the um, commitment to small press lit and poetry and zines and uh, art books. So these are all um, these are all like genres that have like you know crazy different styles too. Um, what of that? will play well at the festival so everything is is reviewed and looked at we kind of know what would be um what would what would be cool then we have our uh people from our board look through like the maybes of like what do you think or like if Aaron and I can't agree or whatever so there's eyes on it but everything gets looked at and yeah yeah I don't know I think we've done pretty good Uh, this year you attempted to cluster say pro zines in yeah. one area in the 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 floor is an open <laughs> space generally but yeah we, had you found was that just an experiment or did you found found that people who were more interested in that stuff like would prefer to be able to go and focus in one area yeah. of the floor we did hear from people that to be sort of the lone poetry chapbook person in an aisle with 17 comic artists that you can get kind of dwarfed Mm. right Um, or that if if you're going through looking and it's all visual work and then you get to a table and it's not and you're Mm. like where's the pictures so we wanted to make it easy and be like okay so this is lit alley this is poetry this is like um, you know beautiful letterpress books and handmade books and whatever like so if you know you're you're looking at lit tables then you're not gonna I don't know I'm trying to I'm trying to counter what the the uh, unfortunate surprise. Instead, right. you go there because that's what you want yeah. and that's what yeah. you're looking for. Yeah, I think when we originally started uh, out, we thought that we would just sort of like have a smattering here and there. But we did listen to the exhibitors, and they were saying like we think that it would be a stronger. We would have a stronger presence if we were all together. And so we're like, forget, let's try it. Yeah, um, I think it worked great. Yeah, and also this was a year that one of um, our local festivals closed down, April, which is the Authors, Publishers, and Readers of Independent Literature. Okay. It takes place <laughs> in <memory>. March. <laughs> it makes no sense. It ran for as long as long as we have. Yeah, it was seven years. Mm-hmm. It made us think a lot, like, well, what happens now um, to the small press scene that they really helped bolster, which was definitely much more the the lit scene. Um, and they brought in comics, and we were, and we've brought in, you know, people from them that we've s- seen at their festival. Mm-hmm. There uh, was definitely there was crossover and kind of sisterhood there before, but um, it 
made it so that we felt like we had to represent literature in a way that we hadn't before um, in order to keep that momentum up. And we also had some of our programming, uh, we called it the reverse tweet translator, which was we uh, had uh, the audience bring a tweet randomly to this, this writer, and we had three writers and they would expand on it. So <laughs> it would be a short story. So some of them were like a page long story. Mm-hmm. Um, some just a few paragraphs, but it was, um, yeah, I thought it was a great idea to say like, instead of like thinking how few words, what if we actually took that idea and let it grow? And so we had two um, amazing writers and we had a comedian um, and they each did an hour. And so we're gonna uh, put out that chapbook of like the tweet, and then the story that came from the tweet. And so that was sort of focused in that area too, the Lit Alley area. In the next, say, six months, what's coming up in terms of the other events you do, the residencies, and when do you go on the retreat and start dreaming up next year? We need to book an Airbnb. (laughs) Uh, We always like to get get away. Yeah, the retreat. Even if it's just like 20 miles. Right. We actually did. Uh, we went to Burien, which is very close to Seattle. <laughs> which is seriously just like a 20 minute drive, but we found just like a cute little cabin that had an outdoor hot tub, and that's how we think best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very important to set aside all distractions. I mean, we would love to take like a long break, but a lot of grant um, deadlines are right away in the beginning of the year. Got to plan out a whole festival to write a grant in April, right? But our Trailer Blaze Ladies Comic and Book Residency happens every April, and that is growing a lot. There's a lot of interest growing around that because there's so few well, first of all, yeah, comics residencies, but then also really focused on women and, and time away from work to work on your projects so yeah. we've already gotten a bunch of emails from all over the world like are you doing this this year like mm-hmm. is this still a thing and we love going out to the southwester if it, even if this didn't exist anymore Aaron oh and I gosh. would be there every year we also give a $250 grant uh, called the dash grant to a self-publisher to make a book and premiere it at the festival uh, that'll probably take place in April too And then in August, we do summer school classes, which is just um, mostly artists teaching artists, like upping your skills or learning a new skill Mm -hmm. to elevate your practice. Like maybe you could letterpress this cover. Maybe you could screen print this cover or professional development, applying for grants or representing yourself online, Um, just like putting those resources out there for quite cheap. It's just like a one-off class, you know? Um, And then we do things with youth too. We wanna like make sure that kids know that about the comics medium and that that is a great way to tell a story and to express yourself and to share. I wish I knew about comics and zines when I was a teen or even younger, oh maybe I would have turned out better, I don't know, <laughs> less emotional. <laughs> maybe um, I would have quit by now. <laughs> I only become an accountant like I wanted to. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the summer school, it, that's also cool because we can partner with lots of different community projects. So whether that be a print shop or a screen print shop or a letterpress shop or um, just like a new art space like the Woodland Theater who's like, hey, you should do some classes here. Oh, wow, this is awesome. And um, that's a way to kind of build community relationships too and to do and, 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 and bring classes to different neighborhoods and to different part of Seattle. So those are all things that we'll be thinking about and we'll be working on. Meanwhile, we're always 
have our eyes open to what kind of guests we'd love to bring to Seattle. Just, you know, we'd still like a little bit more kind of recovery time. And we're both in the, in, um, really close to the end of several big projects on our own that we would love to be able to spend some time on and finish and have something good for next year. So that's a delicate balance. We'll see what we can do. In the run-up to 2018's short run, Erin Franklin has stepped down from her role, leaving Kelly Fro to continue running the festival with the help of the board, an advisory board and volunteers. An upside of this, as far as the show goes, is that Erin will be tabling with both of their books for the first time, including two new silkscreened sculptural illustration zines. You can see these and her recent work in ceramics at erinfranklin.com. It's E-R-O-Y-N, by the way. In 2019, Erin will have a new fictional story in Fantagraphics Now anthology, and she'll be reading from this at the Fantagraphics Bookstore and Gallery on November 10th. Also next year, Kelly will be releasing a graphic novella titled Walking Uphill about her experience moving to Seattle in the 1990s. A preview of that can be seen at cargocollective.com slash K-E-F-R-O-H. The main short run festival is on November 3rd in the Fisher Pavilion and the Vera Project at Seattle Centre. Shortrun.org has all the details, including satellite events before and after. It's free entry, so you have more to spend on comics. Special guests this year include Carol Tyler, Mimi Pond, Anna Hayfish and Olivier Schroy. (laughs) 